Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omaha? What's going on in your world, man? Got a lot going on. Everything, everything, man. It's happening over here in Omaha. Yeah, man, it's going pretty well here in the ATL. I had a busy week, man. Very, very busy week. Got some uh, ministry opportunities going on that I was able to be involved in early on in the week and then work. Wow. Uh, a lot going on with the day job and, uh, but the Lord saw me through it. Uh, had a great weekend, great Lord's day. And really, man, I'm excited about, uh, being on with you for this episode number 43. Absolutely, man. Teeing up, teeing up 43. It's going to be a good one, man. Yeah. So we're continuing our conversation from episode 42, which we titled the narrow road. And uh, mm-hmm. I tell you, man, in that episode, we asked our listeners because we knew going into that episode that we wouldn't really be able to capture uh, all of that needed to be said about the topic with respect to the uh, 10 question audit uh, that was uh, launched by a ministry called Living Out. We knew we wouldn't be able to get everything in last week. And on that same note, we're not going to get everything in uh, in this episode either. However, we put an invitation out there to our listeners to say, hey, if you guys will want us to go ahead and continue to address this, we'll be glad to do a part two of the narrow road. And man, they responded. They yeah. responded big time. So that's what we're doing in this episode. Episode 43 is the narrow road part two. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we appreciate you listeners giving us your feedback on this. Uh, we had some very, very heartfelt emails, very heartfelt social media messages. Uh, people really want, they're, they're really thirsty for a, uh, scriptural approach, uh, yeah. to this issue. And, uh, we thank everyone who responded to our invitation and, uh, and let us know that you wanted an episode too. So here you go. Absolutely, man. Really, really good feedback. Great to hear uh, from folks kind of letting us know what they were interested in, what they wanted to what they wanted to hear. Uh, and, and, and for me, Daryl, it caused me to kind of go back and, and do a little bit more research about the organization, about um, who's a part of it and um, to kind of see what they were all about. And it's, it's interesting as you begin to look into some of the different players and then some of the different voices that are that are in this space um man it's it's it begins to get very convoluted there's some people who are you know more conservative about their ideas around this some folks that i think theologically you go yes i agree and kind of would stand shoulder to shoulder with this one and then you've got some where you're going there's no way in the world i would stand side by side or shoulder to shoulder with that Mm -hmm. one but they're all in the same theological suit because they, they're, you know, they're all trying to trying to push forward this this same idea, and so I think it's incredibly important, uh, especially with regard to the language that begins to get used right. in this space, to to dissect what's actually being said, and I think it's incredibly healthy 
for us to examine this and look at regardless of whether you agree with someone or like someone or don't like someone i think it's important to look at these issues and examine the language and unpack it from a from a biblical perspective so i'm, I'm actually excited we're doing this well fantastic and uh just as a heads up right off the top we want to let you all know that this is probably going to be an expanded edition of the just thinking broadcast okay for the benefit of our listeners on Urban Family Talk, we want to let you know that this is going to be an expanded version of the podcast episode, the broadcast episode. So uh, keep in mind that uh, when 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 that time strikes on Urban Family Talk, you can always go to your podcast app and listen to the full episode of the Just Thinking broadcast number 43. So just want to give our listeners a heads up that this will probably be, be an expanded episode of the broadcast uh, today. All right. So the narrow road part two, uh, okay. if you've not listened yet to episode 42, which will be part one of this topic, I humbly encourage you to do that first. Do not listen to this episode until you've listened to episode 42, because episode 42 will set the context for you and what yeah. you're going to hear in uh, episode 43. And uh, as and I, I know, uh, Omaha, you feel the same way when it comes Absolutely. to studying the word of God, that context is everything. You must Absolutely. study the word of God within, within the proper context. So as it relates to these two episodes that we're doing on the narrow road, specifically as it relates to this 10 question church audit, again, which was produced by, a ministry based in the United Kingdom called Living Out. Uh, we want to make sure that we address this issue just like we do all the others, not only looking into the Word of God to see what the Word of God has to say, but we want to apply it, the context properly and rightly. We want to rightly divide the Word of Truth to this issue. Um, so that's what we want to do. Context is absolutely critical in this regard. So, if you haven't listened to episode 42 yet, please do that and then come back. Check out episode 43. All right, mm -hmm. Omaha. So by popular demand, we are continuing yeah. our conversation around living outs, 10 question audit. How biblically inclusive is your church? Yeah. In statements to help you audit your church family. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, again, if you've, uh, if you subscribe to the podcast, you can go to the episode notes and uh, click there. We've got a link to this document in the episode notes. So uh, go and check that out if you want a copy of these 10 audit statements. But what we're going to do in this particular episode of the broadcast is we're going to break these questions down. We weren't able to do that as much as we had liked in episode 42. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to do that in this episode. And uh, which, again, is why. I mentioned earlier that this is going to be an expanded issue be, edition rather, because I want to make sure we get through all 10 of these statements um, and then kind of put a nice little bow on this, uh, on this topic. Uh, verse, you want to go ahead and kick us off, man. Let me get your, uh, let me get your thoughts on statement one, number one, man. If you don't mind, if you oh, could just yeah. read, read statement number one, read audit statement number one, and then uh, give us your thoughts on, on audit statement number one, bro. Yeah, the, the, the first statement reads this way. It says, your church family meetings include people 
who could be labeled LGBTQ, I believe that's I plus, uh, and are same sex attracted. And it gives you, it gives you three options, either true, false, uh, or not sure. And, uh, and so that's kind of, that's kind of question one. And so, uh, man, I kind of went and, you know, I went back and looked at some of the, you know, some of the original kind of commentary on this from living out and what they were looking for uh, with regard to this and began to just, I wanted to know what were their thought processes as they began putting a a lot of these together and particularly with regard to the first question. And they were excited. The guy who originally wrote this was excited because they had a, a pastor who was, who had openly admitted he was same sex attractive. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, so for them, this was a, check mark hey yes we're we're good to go we've we've checked the box our pastor is same-sex attracted so we are good to go but then he said but we had to kind of pause and wait for a second because simply because our pastor was same-sex attracted that wasn't enough and we mm-hmm. had to look around to see in our congregation if there was actually more uh people who who openly admitted it to, to holding to you know same-sex attraction and, and I found that I found that kind of odd right. uh, because I, I thought, really, I mean, what what's the deal with that? And and I, I recalled, Daryl, when we've when we've had conversations about this in the past, and we've talked about this with regard to the issue of um, of ethnicity, right? When folks are looking for, hey, how diverse is our church from a from an ethnicity standpoint? You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that you and I have always talked about is. What is the makeup of the of the local area where you are? Mm-hmm. You know, is 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 the area where you're located in the local church ethnically diverse? And if if it is, then then voila, that there there you there you have it. And if it's not, then what we should be dependent upon is who is God drawing based upon the proclamation of the gospel to come into the church? That's a proper you know biblical view of God calling His elect unto salvation and bringing them into the body of Christ, thereby serving in the local church. But what I did was I just kind of went and, and looked at, at, a, at a quick, I just wanted, I wanted to look and see how, how many folks just within the United States um, are actually self-admitted or, 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 or really begin to affirm themselves as gay. And when you, if you begin to think about, about the numbers around that, um, you would you would imagine just based upon the megaphone that 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 community has that it's you know somewhere in the neighborhood of about you know twenty five thirty percent but in reality mm-hmm. um, Gallup uh, based upon a poll that they did uh, as as recently as two thousand fifteen have the numbers and and these are actually high estimates have the numbers right at about three point eight percent of the adult population who identify themselves as lesbian gay bisexual or transgender so they've they've combined all of those to come up with the 3.8 percent number and so when you think about 3.8 percent in the united and that's in the united states when you think about that in the united states across the board i don't know that we should be really thinking that we're going to have this large number of people within certain areas of of our geography that are actually going to be LGBTQ plus plus plus, um, and that, that's just one facet of the thought process. Rather, I think there's this automatic idea 
that because the megaphone is so loud, because everywhere we turn, there seems to be someone talking about this particular issue, that everywhere we turn, uh, we're going to see someone who is either a uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or, or dealing with the issue of same-sex attraction. So that's just one aspect of the issue that I thought about with regard to the first question. You know, Omaha, I jotted down a couple things that you uh, mentioned uh, in your commentary there, and I, I'd like to expand on those. You mentioned the phrase, who God calls, who God calls, when you were talking about the the, uh, the ethnic composition of a local church body with respect to the ethnic composition of the community that it's located in. You, you said, who God calls. Yeah. And then later on in your commentary, you, you mentioned the phrase numbers of people. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason that th- those those two comments kind of stood out to me is that when you when you mentioned uh, who God calls, I immediately went back to Acts chapter 13, verse 48. It says, when the Gentiles heard this. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now I could go off the rails here and get into sort of a little apologetic about the doctrine of election, but I'm not going to do that. Right. But that said, Acts 13, 48 is totally germane to what you're the point you were making earlier. Mm-hmm. It is God who calls believers to himself. God does that. We don't do that. We evangelize. We can talk to people one-on-one. We could talk to people one to a thousand. We can communicate what the message of the gospel is. But none of us has the power to effectuate that word in the heart of an individual. Right. None of us innately possesses that power. Only God, by his Holy Spirit, has the power to do that. So as I'm listening to you there, I was like, man, he's talking Acts 13, 48. I'm going to read that again. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life, believe. That's exactly what you said, Virgil. As many as God called to eternal life, believe. That's just another way of saying that. And what stood out to me when you mentioned the phrase numbers of people is that I think when we talk about ministries like living out and then movements like revoice and others. I think the danger becomes looking at the church in terms of numbers, how many people by count, by type, by category, can we get in here under the same roof? Right. You see, that is a total misunderstanding of what the church is. And I want to build on what your commentary was with regarding to audit statement number one and uh, add my own 
uh, commentary, but I think you've gotten off to a great start, man. You really nailed it. It's God who calls. Mm -hmm. It's God who calls. And the church is not about numbers. And I'm going to delve into that here because some con a concern I had when I read through audit statement number one, again, audit statement number one, your church family meetings include people who could be labeled LGBTQI and are, are, are same sex attracted. Now, some thoughts I have, first of all, is what is meant by church family meeting? What is meant by that? And just to give our listeners a heads up, we're going to exposit all 10 of these questions. Okay, we're going to unpack all 10 of these. But in unpacking statement number one, a question that immediately came to my mind was, what do they mean by church family meeting? And, and what is implied by could be labeled LGBTQI? I mean, how would such a label be determined to be applicable or not? Is it simply by subjective observation of one's outward behavior or mannerisms? Right. Or do I just walk up to the person and ask him or her if they identify as that at the risk of being accused of being guilty of some kind of ism? <laughs> you know, every week, Verge, there's a, there's a new ism. Absolutely. Right? Right. So, the, but, the, but the first thing I want to say, and I think this is really germane to this question, because the question asks again, your church family meetings include people who could be labeled LGBTQI and are same sex attracted. So the first thing I want to say, and this may shock some people, but the first thing I want to say by way of reminder is that the church is both for and comprised of believers. The church is not for unbelievers. The church is for believers. The church is not for unbelievers. Now, this should not surprise regular listeners to the Just Thinking broadcast, but we're going to go through a ton of scriptures in this episode. Okay, so hopefully you guys are okay with that. Verse, the first text I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 through 15. So you all listening, we'll hear some pages turning in this episode for sure. 1 Corinthians 5. Verses 12 and 13. Again, yes, I said it. The church is for believers. The church is not for unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul writes this. Matter of fact, let me go back and start at verse 9. Paul writes this. I wrote, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have had to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. But what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So again, there's Apostle Paul is actually very, you know, uh, he doesn't miss words in establishing the, establishing the parameters of what comprises the church, that is the body of Christ. Immoral, unbelieving, 
unfaithful individuals do not belong in the church of Christ. They are not a part of the body. Yeah. Let's look also at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We're going to continue on this train of thought. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So the first step in calling yourself a member of the body of Christ is to repent of your sins. That's exactly the same sermon. Matter of fact, it's the very first sermon Jesus gave in his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth was repent and believe in the gospel. So true, yes, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. That much is clear from the great commission given to us by Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That Greek word nations there is ethnos. That is all the peoples. Same word as in Acts 17, 26. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all the peoples, all the ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the word commanded in the Greek is a military term that denotes an order to be done or carried out. The problem with ministries like living out the Omaha is that they have a visage of Jesus who gives suggestions, not commands. <laughs> they have a visage of Jesus who of a Jesus who gives suggestions, not commands. The Great Commission sent the apostles out with the command to teach them to observe all that I commanded, not suggested. Okay. The problem with ministries like living out again, is that they want to proffer a Jesus who was not authoritative. He's nice. Yeah. Jesus was kind. Jesus was loving, but he wasn't authoritative. Christ has commanded us to make disciples, that is, learners of Jesus and of his ways. Christ did not command us to make church members. I mean, what, what, what did Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty nine? 29? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Mm -hmm. The Greek verb learn means to increase in knowledge. It is the same principle as in Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Where Luke's right, this he as Jesus as a child, he said the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That's Luke two forty. The apostle Peter kind of mirrors, mirrors that that theme, that principle. Second Peter three eighteen, Peter says, "But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." Mm. See, there's ministries out there. And I'm not saying living out is unique because it's not, not in this regard. There are ministries out there that want you to accept Jesus as Savior, but not so much as Lord. Mm. You can't have one without the other. 
You cannot have one without the other. So to me, fundamental to this first audit statement, where living out is mandating that your church family meetings include people who could be labeled LGBTQI or are same-sex attracted. First of all, we have to find out, before we even define what they mean by church meetings, church family meetings, we have to get clarity to the definition of what is the church. And I think, again, to your point, Verge, too many Christians out there today are defining church in terms of numbers right. and category and right. data. Right. right. But biblically, that's not what the church is. No, absolutely not. All right. So let's move on to audit statement number two. Mm-hmm. Audit statement two reads derogatory language or stereotyping mm-hmm. attitudes towards sexual minority groups would not be tolerated either up front or in conversation between church family members. Right. Again, these, uh, these church audit statements, the responses that you can give are either true, false, or not sure. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. statement two, derogatory language or stereotyping attitudes towards sexual minority groups will not be tolerated either up front or in conversation between church family members. Omaha, what you got on that? Well, it's interesting. I want I want to put up front. You and I have not shared any notes on nope. where we land on this. Nope. I want to put that out there up front. And so I don't know what you're going to say. You have no idea what I'm going to say. Um, and so um, it'll be interesting to see where e- either of us land on this. I, I definitely up, up front have a problem with the term sexual minority groups. Um, I, I don't even know what that is. Um, and and it's, it's a new, it, it, it's brand new language that is being entered into the, 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 the lexicon of, you know, of, of language uh, for us to adopt, uh, to embrace. And, and it's intent, it's, it's written it for an intended purpose, right? So it, it, we all understand what a minority group is. And so we're, we're to have a, when we hear minority group, we attach to it a, a kind of a historical background, a historical narrative of oppression, of, of, of you know, of, of that which has been, you know, historically done wrong. And, and, and so there's a, there's a whole victimology that's attached to that as well. And so th- there's there's purpose in embracing the, the 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 minority you know the term minorities and you add the sexual minority onto that there's there's purpose in that but truth be told if you read that if you read that that sentence you could take those two words out of that sentence and it should be true period right. so it it reads derogatory language or stereotyping attitudes um would not be tolerated. I, I could take I could take the rest of it out. Derogatory language or stereotyping attitudes would not be tolerated either up front or in conversation between church family members. That in and of itself, if you take that toward toward and then you aim it as a sexual minority group, if you if you look at that in its proper context, that that looks like Colossians three, that looks like Ephesians five, where where we're not supposed to use obscene talk or 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 language that mm-hmm. that's unbecoming of a mm-hmm. Christian. Ephesians 5 4, let, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That that's biblical. I mean that mm-hmm. that's biblical language. And so th- this the statement is 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 not necessary because as a believer, right. uh, we should all be operating from that from that exactly. vantage point. 
Exactly. On, on the flip side of that as well, I think we're we're also in a context where everything is off limits from a standpoint of 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 humor, right? Yep. Like we can't we can't laugh at anything. So 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 nothing's funny anymore. Like I can't laugh at you, you can't laugh at me. We there's 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 nothing that we can laugh about with regard to issues of of of, of skin color. Of there's nothing that that can be funny anymore, you know. And so if if I do laugh and it is funny, if I make a joke about about one's ethnicity or it's it's automatically deemed racist or bigoted or homophobic. And so there's nothing that that we can we can joke about or laugh about in, in any light fashion in, in any regard. So it, all, all of that just I mean, it, it just it sucks the life out of they're talking about talking about, you know, living out. Uh, it sucks the, the life out of living altogether, <laughs> you know, no pun intended. I see but, what you did there on Omaha. Yeah, that was a good I, one. You see what I did? <laughs> I see what you did there. That's my two cents on number two. Yeah, you know, so we, when you look at this, and I think we need to remind ourselves here, Omaha, we're talking about a church audit. And with any audit, there's got to be an individual or a body of individuals that determine whether you're in compliance with those standards or not. Right. Now, now this is what these questions that we're going, going through right here on this episode of the broadcast, living out calls this an audit. This is, this is what they call it. 10 statements to help you audit your church family. So mm-hmm. intrinsic with the word audit is that there's a standard that you have to meet. That had that standard that standard has been set by somebody or some entity or organization. And every last one of these questions, you can respond true, false, or not sure. So let's keep that in mind. When it, we should not overlook that. This is called an audit, folks. That means somebody's gonna be watching you to see if you comply with right. these standards. And if you don't, what we used to call them the uh, the banking and finance industry, they're gonna uh, issue a finding. They're going to issue a finding that you are not in compliance with one or more of these standards. You know, so my thoughts, uh, Omaha, and really see, this is why I love doing this broadcast is that we can take issues like this, exposit them, exegete them, and put scripture around them. Mm. And I really like what you did, man. They're putting some scripture around those. You know, some thoughts that I had on, on audit statement number two is number one, how is derogatory language defined? That's good, bro. You see, how is that defined? Again, statement two starts off derogatory language or stereotyping attitudes towards sexual minority groups would not be tolerated. So my question is, well, how is quote unquote derogatory language defined? Is it language? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, is it language that is deemed sinfully offensive in objective biblical terms, as you just pointed out, Virgil, as you just pointed out? Or is it determined by what an individual subjectively deems to be personally offensive to him or her? That's good. Let's see. It's what you alluded to just now, Virgil. This is why we're in the mess we're in now. This is why you can't laugh anymore. Right. This is why you can't joke anymore with anyone because everything is so personally subjectively offensive 
you see. So another question I have on audit statement number two is what does the term sexual minority group mean? I mean, by what objective standard does one be, by what objective standard does one warrant being called or classified as a sexual minority? Mm-hmm. Is it based on their behavior, lifestyle, or some other observable attribute? See, that's oh. a trick question. Because sex, I prefer to use sex as opposed to gender. Sex is ambiguous these days. It's ambiguous. <laughs> Unfortunately. You know, hence, every time you look at this abbreviation of this uh, LGBTQ, they've added another alphabet to it. Right. You know, it's amazing how we can go from Genesis 1 that clearly and unambiguously says that God created them male and female. Mm-hmm. To this, what are we up to now? Six alphabets? Is it six? Vert, why don't you count them, Vert, while I keep talking? Well, go ahead and count them for me. One, man. two, three. I'm at six on this one. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm, I'm running out I'm of at, fingers. I'm at six on this one. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the time this there's airs, there'll be another one. Yeah, there's a plus on the end, so they might have some yeah. more. So, I mean, so seriously, how is derogatory language defined? How is the term sexual minority group defined? Uh, you know, so yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with you, Omaha. You brought up a great point. You could take this classification, stereotyping towards sexual minority groups, take sexual minority groups out. And as a Christian, as a believer, that art statement should apply across the board to, to anyone. Um, Ephesians 4.25, therefore laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you was his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So Paul Paul covers everybody. He covers every believer here. No need to classify them by some uh, uh, descriptor, like right. sexual minority groups. That should apply to everyone. Still in right. Ephesians 4, verse 29, Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that will give grace to those who hear. So to my brothers and sisters at living out, there's no need to um, put an asterisk on this one. Derogatory language and stereotyping attitudes that are unbiblical apply across the board, not to however you define sexual minority groups. All right. Moving on to audit statement number three. Audit statement three, all in your church know that we all experience sexual brokenness and are all being encouraged to confess their own sexual sins. Again, all in your church know that we all experience sexual brokenness and all are being encouraged to confess their own sexual sins. What you got, Omaha? I I just thought this was kind of foolish. Um, if we're teaching biblical Christianity um, in 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 churches, uh, if if someone in 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 church is walking people through the 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 text of Scripture, right? If 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 we're teaching First Corinthians uh, chapter six verses nine through, 
we're, we're gonna we're gonna cover we're gonna cover everything. This to me is is just kind of one of those one of those catch alls. Yeah. Um. It's it's the catch all that that you know I don't want you to point out my sin. So it, it, my my particular sin. Mm-hmm. So make sure you mention everybody's so that mine doesn't get focused on you. And you listen, basically, this is a conversation, man, that you and I have had time and time again when we've addressed this issue. And so I won't take up much time but to simply say this. I, last last uh, last week, last Wednesday, had a Bible study where we talked about biblical sexuality. Um, and, and, and when we addressed the issue of sin, I, I brought up something that you and I on this podcast had a, had a very detailed conversation about. And that is, when the Bible addresses issues of sin, it is incredibly specific about the sin. We, when we talk about repentance from sin, it is very specific about the, the sin that it addresses. It's not this catch-all, hey, all these different sin, everybody kind of all around. It, it, it really lays it out. And when you, when you walk through, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, I mean, it, it lay, Paul lays out, uh, you know, situation by situation, scripture by scripture, sin by sin to let mm-hmm. you know that, mm-hmm. that such were some of you, mm-hmm. but, but yeah. you've been washed. And, it, and it's for the purpose of, A, examining where you were and examining what God has done as he's redeemed you and has washed you and has made you, made you clean, right? I mean, that, that's the whole purpose. Uh, first Corinthians six, uh, uh, you know, verse 11. So we, when we, we look at that, man, we've got to, we've got to think about that. This is not, a, you know, this is kind of a catch all. Hey, make sure everybody knows yeah, every, mm-hmm. and, and there, there should be no problem in doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we don't have to reiterate that, but, mm-hmm. but I get it. They want that to take place because they don't want this particular issue to be addressed, but nobody's running around having adultery parades. Nobody's running right. around having fornication parade and then, but if they were we deal with it and address it but you know mm-hmm. that's not what's happening man you killed it on that one verge i appreciate <laughs> that man i appreciate that you know when i read audit statement number three again all in your church know that we all experience sexual brokenness and are all being encouraged to confess their own sexual sins first question i had was you know what's the difference between sexual brokenness and sexual sins I mean, they mentioned both those phrases in the audit statement. So my question is this, is the brokenness the cause of our sin or is our sin the cause of our brokenness? Right. You know, which way is it? You know, because, but in either case, to what do the people that living out attribute such brokenness? In other words, what is the origin of it? What, what would they say is the origin of this sexual brokenness? so that we should confess our sexual sin. And then why should we have to confess our sexual sin? Dear, I want to interact with you on something here. And and that, and that's, and that's this man, you know, our sexual sin. And when I look at this, bro, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of myself personally, my, my sexual sin causes me to be broken over my sin. And, and I think I think the language here is is causes us to be sympathetic at the wrong point. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I, I think I think, you know, we say all experience sexual brokenness. So we get sympathetic there. 
right? And then, and then uh, it, it encourages us to confess our own sexual mm-hmm. sins. And so that then, so so now, now the emphasis is on our our, our own their own their own sins. My own, my own, it, the it, the areas where I'm failing God, whether it's lust, whether it's you know, whatever that area of sin is in my own life, uh, where where I've missed it, where I've messed it, messed up, you know, um, where I've fallen, uh, that sin has, has and that that is where I've been exposed has caused me to experience brokenness uh, about my sin, and and I. I examine it and I, and I realize, you know, hey, well, it's brokenness from the fall, blah, 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 blah. But I think the better way to deal with that is the way that the Bible expresses it. And, and it's, it's, it's my sexual sin. It's my sin. Uh, and, and, and that's the area. And, and as a result of that, I've, I'm broken over it. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, man. It makes perfect sense. I love what you said, that the Bible is very specific about our sin. And it is. The Bible is very, very specific about our sin. Matter of fact, let's look at a couple of texts, bro. First Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4. First Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes this. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, you can't get more explicit than this and what he's about to say. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Paul doesn't say that you abstain from sexual brokenness. He says that you abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that he continues, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, implicit with the latter part of that, of uh, verse four there, is that those who know God don't do this. Those who know God possess their vessels in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion as the Gentiles who do not know God. So we would expect Gentiles, again, there is a, is referencing unbelievers. Okay. So, what we're looking at here is Paul being very explicit to your point, Omaha. The word of God is clear. Steve Lawson would say, perspicuous. It is clear. The word of God is clear about sin. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Again, Paul is speaking here. He says, or do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's from 1 Corinthians. That's not from 1 Daryl. Okay? That's not from 1st Daryl, that's from 1st Corinthians 5, the words of the Apostle Paul. So if you have an issue with the text that I just read, take it up with God, because that's his word that I just quoted to you. Paul was very explicit, to your point again, Omaha, the word of God is very specific and explicit about our sin. All right, 
Audit statement number four. You want to take that one, Verge? I got you, man. It says same-sex sexual relationships are never mentioned in isolation from other sinful patterns of behavior or from the forgiveness offered to all uh, through faith in Christ crucified. True, false, or not sure. What you got? I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll do this quickly because it's very similar to the one above. But here, here's the problem I had with, with this one. And, 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 and it's that what they're trying to do is um, it, it's the it's same, it's same me too. It's the same mm-hmm. me too. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, what they're trying to do is put same-sex sexual relationships on par with other sexual sinful acts, right? Yep. And as I do, it's, it's, as I read, it's the catch-all that you were talking about earlier. It's the catch-all. It's the catch-all. And and as I and as I read things biblically, same-sex sexual relationships are not on par biblically with the sexual sinfulness of other sexual relationships. Which which is exactly why we've been talking about this for two episodes now. Absolutely, they're they're not they're not on par. They're they're not on par. Um, both are sinful, right? Anything outside of Anything outside of the biblical parameter of, of, of marriage between a male and a female, any sexual activity outside of marriage between male and a female is indeed sinful. But, but there's something that God says is outside of the natural order. Every time that, every time that, that sex with, with those of the same gender is mentioned, there's something said about it that is different and unique, and, and there's something extra to it. They've, they've given up the natural design of their bodies. It is an abomination. There's something extra stated in Scripture about it that takes it out of the same realm. And so what I saw problematic with this is that they tried to place it at, at, on par in equity, and that's not at all what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, that's another great point, Verge. You know, my thoughts on this one, on audit statement number four, again, just to read it first before I make my point, same-sex sexual relationships are never mentioned in isolation from other sinful patterns of behavior or from the forgiveness offered to all through faith in Christ crucified. You know, my thoughts on this statement was this, is that to assert that same-sex sexual relationships not be mentioned in isolation from other sinful patterns of behavior is to intrinsically acknowledge that same-sex sexual relationships are in fact sinful. Mm. Now you got to read this statement. You got to read all these statements carefully, but read statement four carefully and they've entrapped themselves. Same sex sexual relationships are never mentioned in isolation from other sinful patterns of behavior. And, and Daryl, I mean, never, like we could never, like there is never a time when we can mention the issue of same-sex relationships apart from that, like never, like never. where's the biblical precedence for that? Never. Again, okay. you, you would fail the audit if you were to do that. <laughs> you would fail the audit. I would issue a finding on your church, Virgil. <laughs> Because you failed that. Let's look, let's look at what the Word of God has to say about it. But I thought it was interesting. They said 
that same-sex sexual relationships should not be mentioned in isolation from other sinful patterns of behavior, which by saying that, by putting that qualifier on there, other sinful patterns of behavior, you're acknowledging that same-sex relationships is a sin. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned. This is your point, Virgil. You have not mourned. Instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. You see, this is why we call this episode the narrow road. Ministries like Living Out, Revoice, and others are trying to widen a road that Jesus said is narrow. But what does Paul say? In addition to Jesus saying, commanding us to follow the narrow road, enter the gate and follow the narrow road. What does Paul say here? He says, remove the immoral person from your midst. Remove that one who, whose lifestyle is a pattern of habitual sin and immorality, whatever the immorality is. Remove him from your midst. But you got ministries like this is just inviting everybody in. Just come on in. You're no worse off than anyone else. That's your catch-all, birds. You aren't, you, your sexual uh, sin issues aren't any worse than anyone else who lies or steals. We're all sinners, so come on in, you see. No, that's not how it works. Staying in 1 Corinthians, let's look at chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Paul writes this, he says, flee immorality. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We are to flee immorality. That covers every type of sexual immorality, whether it's heterosexual immorality, as in sexual adultery, fornication, or same-sex sexual immorality. Um, One more text I want to look at with audit statement number four is Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. All right, verse 21. Paul writes this, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him, what? Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Okay. Paul says you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, but now, having come to faith in Christ, okay, you're presented before God holy and blameless, not in a pattern 
of continual habitual sin. Okay. Anything you want to add to that verse before we move on? No, I, I, I'll, I'll just add this as we're coming close to time on our, with our, with our folks from urban family. Uh, and, and that's this is that you know, one of the things that, that, that I, that I see with regard to this is uh, we've got, I've got friends who have, have come out of uh, man, the, the, the lifestyle that God has totally transformed, has redeemed, that God has just, man, just totally turned their lives around, uh, that God has graced on the, on the back half of that statement, which is great, uh, that, that, that they've experienced the forgiveness offered to all through Christ crucified. They've experienced that. And what they're experiencing as a result of making the proclamation, making the declaration that they are indeed free in Christ, mm-hmm. that they are experiencing the full freedom and that they renounce the lifestyle and anything associated with it, brother, they're experiencing some real radical, um, you know, backlash. They, mm-hmm. they're, they're experiencing, mm-hmm. um, you know, folks who are upset with them, angry with them, churches that, that whose doors are closing because they won't embrace some of the ideas around a more, you know, tolerant, uh, t- more tolerant language, more tolerant, you know, um, embrace of, of some of the ideas that, that, that are even reflected in, in some of this language that we're reading, you know, that's kind of what they're, what they're dealing with. Okay. Right, so verse. Yeah, let's yes. Do so we're going to move on to audit statement number five, about halfway through here. Audit statement five, all in your church are hearing the same call to radical self-sacrifice of themselves in response to God's giving of himself in Jesus. All in your church are hearing the same call to radical self-sacrifice of themselves in response to God's giving of himself in Jesus. Now, let me go ahead and kick things off on this one verse. Audit statement number five. Actually, radical self-sacrifice, which is a phrase that's used in this audit statement. Radical self-sacrifice of oneself in response to God's giving of himself in Jesus is not the call of the gospel. That's works righteousness that they're promoting here. That's works righteousness that they're promoting. You cannot conveniently declare that God gave of himself in Jesus apart from declaring why God gave of himself in Jesus. The call of the gospel is not to radical self-sacrifice of oneself. The call of the gospel is death to oneself death to oneself in response to the radical self-sacrifice of the son of God for my sins. So if there was any radical self-sacrifice here, it was on Jesus's part. It was on Jesus's part, not my part. What's that song Virgil? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God would die for me? That's the radical self-sacrifice if you want to use that phrase so in response to christ's radical self-sacrifice i'm called to die not just offer myself or in some form of radical self-sacrifice let's look at colossians chapter 3 verse 5 that question that question really got me uh uh, as you can tell, that one really got me. No, if, if there's any radical self-sacrifice that anyone gave, it's, it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was radical self. That God himself 
would condescend to come into this sinful world and allow himself to be humiliated, abused, beat upon, spat on before he got nailed to the cross. That's radical self-sacrifice right there. Colossians 3, 5. Paul writes this, Therefore consider the members of your earthly bodies as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked. You also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You are a new creature. You are a new person in Christ. The old self you put away. Revelation 21.8. Revelation 21.8. Let's go there to, to kind of put a nice bow on, on audit statement number five. Revelation 21, 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And before we move on to audit statement number six, verse, I just want to say one thing. And, and this is sad for me to have to say this. But I'm pretty sure there are, are, are people who profess to be Christians listening to this. And they're uncomfortable hearing verses like Revelation 21, 8. <laughs> they're, they're uncomfortable hearing God himself say. What kinds of people and what kinds of behavior will not be tolerated in his kingdom. They're uncomfortable that I read from the Bible that verse. And if you're one of those who are uncomfortable hearing me read verses like Revelation 21.8, Princess! I, I don't know why, why do you call yourself a Christian to begin with? If all of the word of God does not apply to your life. Why are you a Christian? I'm only reading to you what the word of God says. You know, so if you're uncomfortable with that, I can't apologize for that. That's something that you have to deal with between you and God. Okay, Verge. Audit statement number six. Audit all, statement number six, Verge. You want to take all, that one? All in your church are encouraged to develop an identity founded first and <laughs> foremost on their union with Christ. Man. <laughs> there, there's that word. There's that word, verse. Identity. Bro, 
That is the word du jour. I'm, Go ahead, I'm first, at, take it. I'm at a loss on this one. Like, what in where where are they going? What are they doing? Um, I think I think the again first, where where are you going with identity? What, what do you mean by 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 that? Because here's the thing: the first at at, at issue to begin with is the fact that they want to hold on to an identity asso- associated with an old nature that was supposed to have Bingo. died. Bingo. Right? There you go. And Bingo. and so we're going to hold on to that identity to begin with. And then they're going to act as if that they are trying to identify in their union with, with Christ. And I mean, I, I, I think this is problematic with, you know, kind of the social justice thing with regard to yep. ethnicity, right? Yep. We're, yep. we're trying to, we're trying to elevate color above the cross of Christ. Yep. And, and, and in this instance, we're trying to, we're trying to elevate sexuality, right. Uh, above the savior. Yep. And so I, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's kind con- what they're doing is, contradictory to the statements that they're trying to make um they're not even abiding by what it is they're they're trying to audit right they're not abiding by it but they want others to abide by it right i mean it's it's amazing see what what this entire 10 question audit is it's an effort to find loopholes in the word of god Mm. that's what they're looking for they're looking for loopholes they're looking for behavioral loopholes they're looking for behavioral loopholes, fine print, asterisk, whatever you want to call it. That's what they're looking for because they're trying to ride both sides of the fence. You know, when I looked at question number six, audit statement number six, you know, to suggest that one's identity is found, quote unquote, first and foremost, because that's what that's what the statement reads. Right. First and foremost on their, quote unquote, union with Christ right. to suggest that you're intrinsically stating that there are secondary attributes upon which our identity is based. The statement says that union with Christ, it should be, that should be first and foremost. But when you say first and foremost, you're intrinsically saying, well, there's a, there's a secondary, there's a tertiary that you can also identify yourself with. Right. It's just that in this case, union, union with Christ should be first. If I've been crucified, how I got an identity. Bingo. There you if go. I, and that's his with Christ. How, what, what identity do I have? Exactly. Exactly, man. If I, and that's if, exactly if, where I'm about to go. Colossians three, if I've been hidden in him, how I still got an identity. Bingo. Bingo. And, and Colossians three is exactly where I'm about to go. <laughs> Colossians three verses one through three, because see the gospel destroys to your point, Omaha, the gospel destroys all notions that our identity is found in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ himself. The gospel destroys you, in other words. The gospel destroys you. What did John the Baptist say? He must increase, I must decrease. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. Come on, man. Paul writes this. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ 
in God. So when you come to Christ by God's grace and mercy, when he calls us to himself, regenerates our hearts so that we believe in his son. All that you were up to that point, you're dead. Matter of fact, you're still dead. You're dead after that point. That's what I mean when the when in Colossians one, I'm sorry, Colossians three three. For you have died. That's what I mean when I say the gospel destroys all notion that our identity is found in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ Himself. So no, uh, living out it isn't that one's identity is found first and foremost in their union with Christ. No, your identity is found in Christ. Period. Period. In there is no secondary or tertiary element to your identity. You're totally identified. It's like I said earlier. Christianity is not about who you identify as. It's about who you identify with. That's what Christianity is. You go from an person who identifies as to someone who identifies with. And that person is Jesus. All right. Audit statement number seven. We're 70% through our audit. We're probably (laughs) failing miserably to this point. No, you're doing well. (laughs) Who cares? And we're doing right. fine on time. We, we we look. We told them at the outset, man. And this 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 will be this will be a double pack. I mean, this we're good to go. We're doing well. Yeah, just like back in the day, right, Omaha, when the artists used to put out double albums. This right, is gonna right. be a, yeah, yeah. This this episode's a double album. This double is a, album. This is a Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life musicquarium hotter than July. There you go. There you double go. Album. All right. This is a this double, is a, album. That's this it. double album. All right. So audit question number seven. I got it. It's a godly Christian's sexual orientation would never, bro, would never prevent them from exercising their spiritual gifts or serving in leadership in your church. Let me read that again. A godly Christian's sexual orientation would never prevent them from exercising their spiritual gifts or serving in leadership in your church true false or not sure what do you got sir man listen you know i was ready i was already prepared for you not being able to get through that entire audit statement so i was ready to just take up where you <laughs> fell out of your chair at the point where right, you fell out I, of your chair i passed out right 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 i was right, right. right i was ready to take up for you there okay like like when i when i stop and pass out and, and can't speak anymore you were gonna pick up right i was gonna pick up i was ready so we weren't gonna miss a beat bro i had you back on that one <laughs> Let me read audit statement seven again yeah, for the folks that, on the for, for, just for the folks who sit on the back pew. Let me right. let me read this one again for them. A godly Christian's sexual orientation would mm-hmm. never prevent them from exercising their spiritual gifts or serving in leadership in your church. True, false, not sure. Again, I have to say to our listeners, you must read this audit. Verse, do you remember that old game called Operation? Yes. Where the commercial would come on and you got the tweezers, man, and you're trying to take out the body parts without touching the yeah. sides. Yeah, without touching the side. Because it would light up if you if you it touch the side. Up if you touch the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This going through this audit is like playing that game of operation. 
Yes. You have to forensically dissect these audit statements or you will yes. be totally sucked in. You yes. will be totally sucked in. A godly yes. Christian. Go ahead, Virg. Well, that's why that, that well, that's why they waited to number seven to drop this one on you. Because see, if you got through the first six with no problem, right? Then number seven wouldn't be a surprise to you. By the time you get to this is this is a progressive order thing. By the time you get through the first six, you're like, hey, boom, 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 I got this. So by number seven, you're pretty inoculated to the to number seven shouldn't surprise or shock you because the language and all of what's said and kind of where you go, you the the term godly Christian and then sexual orientation shouldn't even shock you because you've been hit with the sexual brokenness, sexual minority from above, you've been hitting, you know, there's been some words and some language that's hit you prior to. So by the time you get godly Christian and then sexual orientation, you're pretty inoculated. Yeah, I mean, by now, you're absolutely right, Omaha, because by now, man, I'm I'm singing Kumbaya right, right, right about now. You know, because everything is so innocuous. It just seems so, oh, man, this is just so lovely. You know, it's talking about That's unity it. and coming together. And, man, I, I can get with this. You know, I right. can get with this. No. It, it, that's why this is like playing that, that game operation. You, you have to really get out and, and, and look at this audit almost. Look at these statements in a surgical manner. There's not that's a single it. word you can afford to go, you know, sort of float over. You must look at every single word in here because you mentioned the point a couple of times already, Verge. It's the language. Uh-huh. It's the language. It's the subtlety. It's the subtle shift in terms and vernacular that are hooking people. Uh-huh. You know, so you look at audit statement number seven. You know, my comment on this was it was that this statement might be possibly the most blasphemous of all the ten. This one right here, when it says a godly Christian sexual orientation. Now we've already made a case already. We've already read through enough scriptures to establish that a godly Christian is not one who engages in sexual immorality as a habit of life. We've already read enough scriptures to establish that. So we could, we could actually skip audit statement number seven, but just so our listeners for the sake of our listeners and for their benefit, Again, the statement says a godly Christian sexual orientation would never prevent them from exercising their spiritual gift or serving in leadership in your church. Now, again, the reason we're talking about this in part two, this is part two. The reason we continue to talk about this is because a Christian's sexual lifestyle matters. It matters. Your sexual behavior matters to God. That's why this statement here, I thought it was the most egregiously wrong of all the 10. The reason the issue of quote unquote gay Christianity is an issue to begin with is because of the unambiguous declarations in the word of God regarding sexual sin. That's why we're talking about this. It's because you've got ministries like living out and others who don't want to abide by what thus says the Lord on this issue. So they, what they'll do is they'll change, they'll subtly change the language. They'll subtly change the verb, sexual brokenness, you know, sexual minority, sexual ethic. You know, the ethic is obedience. That's the ethic. <laughs> it's pretty simple, folks. The gospel ethic towards sexuality is obedience to what God's word says about it. Okay. 
it's still homosexuality is still an abomination to God. It still is. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. All right, Omaha, let's go on to statement number eight. Moving right along. Yep. God's gift of either singleness or marriage are equally promoted, valued, and practically supported in your church family's life together. God's gifts of either singleness or marriage are equally promoted, valued, and practically supported in your church family's life together. True, false, or not sure. Okay, now I'm going to mark that one true. Okay. So I've got one true out of eight questions so far. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I've miserably failed this audit, but that's okay. Right. Now, on the surface verge, I have no problem with this. Mm-hmm. On the surface, I have no problem at all with this statement because singleness and marriage are both gifts from God and should not be viewed in terms of preference one over the other. Sure. However, being single or married should not be twisted so as to be connected with the LGBTQ agenda so that it is an excuse for that immoral sexual behavior. So apart from that, I'm okay with the statement. And I base that on the words of the apostle Paul in first Corinthians chapter seven verses one through seven. So let me read through that real quick. Paul writes this. These are principles concerning marriage. He says now concerning the things about which you wrote is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am, that is single. But this I say by way of concession, not of command, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However. And here's the kicker. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So Paul is basically saying that, yes, regardless, married or single is a gift. God has not. It is not God's will for everyone to be married. Same time, it is not God's will for some people to remain single. Some people are going to remain single, whereas God has gifted others to be married. But in either case, it is a gift. So on the surface, I have no problems with this statement. Virg, you got anything to add? Not not really. As I went to the website and kind of looked at what, what they were doing with it. I, I think to the point that you kind of kind of alluded to, I think I think we've got to be careful and mindful that that it's not that that this doesn't become a, a lever or a or a or a leverage um, to 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 do some something where we begin we begin attacking uh, family, um, right. where where we wave the banner of singleness uh, to to such a degree that that um, that we diminish or minimize um, the importance 
of of the of the structure of a family. There's there's a reason uh, that 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 God has. When we look at Scripture and when we examine the pages of Scripture, where what's what is promoted is family, and that's because the majority of of, of the folks that we're going to encounter, um, God has gifted uh, to be married and to have families. Uh, I do think that that we have a responsibility as as a church body to to ensure that singles are incorporated and are a part of of, of the family of God. Uh, but when we elevate singleness as something, you know, as, as, as an entity that needs to be kind of amplified, I think we've got to be very, very careful. So, yeah, that's that's a great point. And again, statement number uh, statement number eight, it's got terms in there that need to be biblically fleshed out. Good. Terms like singleness and marriage, those terms must be defined because you must establish context first before you respond to the question. And I can guarantee you right now that I don't have the same paradigm of marriage and singleness that the folks at Living Out do. I read 1 Corinthians 7 in the context in which Paul delivered it. Paul is talking about heterosexual singleness. He's talking about heterosexual marriage. So when you're looking at this audit statement number eight, gifts, God's gifts of either singleness or marriage, the question must be asked first and foremost, well, what do you mean by singleness? What do you mean by marriage? Let's establish that first, and then we can discuss the statement itself and whether it's true, false, or not sure as it relates to your local church. All right. Question, or sorry, audit statement number nine. Audit statement nine reads, church family members instinctively share meals, homes, holidays, festivals, money, children with others from different backgrounds and life situations to them. Church family members instinctively share meals, homes, holidays, festivals, money, children, and others, with others rather, from different backgrounds and life situations. Now, my first comments on this one. What I found concerning about this statement, Omaha, is that the phrase, quote, quote, unquote, sharing meals, homes, holidays, festivals, money, children with others from different backgrounds and life situations is that those different backgrounds and life situations are what should serve as our impetus for that sharing. We should be motivated by the fact that they're different from us. And that should just sort of well up in me some desire or passion to fellowship with them because they're different as opposed to being motivated by our oneness and unity as believers in Christ. You see, so that's the, that's the problem I have with this statement and to sort of flesh that out a little bit. I want to go to Acts chapter four and look at two verses, <clears throat> two verses in Acts chapter four. First of all, I want to look at verse 32, and then I want to look at verse 34. So Acts chapter four, verse 32. Again, my problem here is that this audit statement is using uh, ethnic differences, differences in our sex, differences in our family structures, things like that as an impetus for why we should invite them uh, into our homes and share different occasions and fellowship opportunities with them, as opposed to being motivated by our oneness in Christ. Acts chapter four, verse 32. 
and the congregation of those who believed, I'm going to go back to that in a second, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Now, what I don't want our listeners to miss is what is said there at the very beginning of that of verse 32 here in Acts chapter 4. And the congregation of those who believe. That is a solid biblical definition for church. If you want a biblical definition for what the church or what a church is, a church is a congregation of believers. It is not just a con it is not a gathering of congregants. There is a difference there. A church is a congregation of believers. Mm-hmm. Goes back to my initial statement at the top of this episode. The church is for believers. The church is not for unbelievers. This is a beautiful definition, biblically solid definition of what a church is. And the congregation of those who believed. The church is not just a congregation. Listen, you can congregate together. And, and that's what a lot of churches are doing, right? Right, Romaha. A lot of liberal churches right now, liberal denominations are congregating together with other non-Christians under the banner of unity and community and love and fellowship. You've got some churches opening their doors to Muslims to hold Islamic worship services. Now, in that scenario, you have a congregation, but it's not a congregation of believers. And you stop being a church at that point. But to the point with respect to audit statement number nine, I just had to say that because, again, I think a lot of what a lot of the reason why we're even talking about this is there's such a misunderstanding of what a biblical church is. A biblical church has boundaries. It has limits. It has uh, principles, precepts. It has uh, paradigms that God has set that we are not to go outside of. So yeah, you can have a congregation, but that doesn't make it a church. But again, to audit statement number nine, church family members instinctively share meals, homes, etc. Well, here we have it. Acts 4.32. Yeah. A con- believers do that already. Absolutely. Be- believers do that already. You come to a Baptist church here in the South, especially, you're going to go home with plenty of food. Yeah. on a Sunday. You're going to go home with plenty of food or somebody's going to invite you to go out to lunch. So yeah, that, that, that fellowship should be, that, that goes without saying. Okay, so let me look also at verse, I think standing in Acts 4, let me look at verse 34. <clears throat> Again, verse 34. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Okay, so again, listen, Scripture already takes care of audit statement number nine, but not in the sense that living out is is proffering this statement. Mm -hmm. Again, they're pointing to our differences as reason to come together. No, 
the Bible points to our oneness and unity in Jesus, not our oneness as homo sapiens. Okay. Not as members of the human family. No, that's not it. Okay. All right, Virg, you got anything to add to number nine before we wrap this baby up with number 10? You, you, you nailed it. It all, it all lands in scripture. That's it. It's all there. It's all there in the word. That's all we're doing. That's all we ever do on the Just Thinking broadcast. We open up the word of God and see what the word of God says. All right. Audit statement number 10. I've, uh, uh, to this point, Verge, I've given myself like 0.5 out of 10 possible points. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I, I expected to fail this audit, though. I expected this would, right. this would be an audit that I would fail glowingly. All right. Mm. Last but not number least, two. audit statement number, number 10. 10. Go, yeah, yeah. Omaha. I got it. I got it. Uh, no one would be pressurized into expecting or seeking any, quote, healing, unquote, or change that God has not promised any of us until the renewal of all things, true, false, or not sure. Okay, so the statement asserts. (laughs) (coughs) Ooh, this is a doozy. Yeah, this is a doozy right here. The statement asserts. Go ahead, go ahead, Omaha. You take it. I just, I don't even, man. There's, there's a lot. I don't even know where to begin. There's a lot of assumptive language there. Wow. There's, there's, I'm sure there's some presuppositions, and and I, I don't know if they're, if they're, if they're leaning into some of the, you know, some of the, the, the idea around, you know, the, the healing idea around, uh, you know, we can heal your homosexuality from back in the day. Um, I, I don't know what they're leaning into uh, with, with regard to this, but we, they're trying to, again, they're trying to hold on to this identity and they don't, it, it's as if there's, they, they don't want to give this thing up. Um, yeah, that's, and, and that's the bottom so line. They don't want to give it up. Look, it's like I said earlier, they're looking for loopholes here. They're looking for asterisks yeah. and fine print. Yeah, they, they, not they don't, no, they don't, they don't want to give it up. And so there's no one would be pressurized into expecting or seeking any healing or change, change that God has not promised any of us until the renewal of all things. I, all I know is that he, he calls us, and you've made this point over and over in, in this process, the walk of Christianity is a death walk. Uh, it's it, a death walk. It is. It is one where we have we have died to self. We've been crucified. I mean, you, brother, you've laid this out during this particular broadcast and on many other previous that anyone can can listen to. That we we've been called to die to self. We've been called to die to all of the all of the desires that that we have that are of the flesh. We've been called to die to any identity that we have that is outside of Christ. We've been called to die. all of that's been put to death. Uh, if any man desires to, to gain his life, he'll lose it for my sake. And the, and the gospel, I mean, all, all the, the scripture is absolutely clear on this issue. So the fact that they're trying to hold on to some identity or, or and 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 ignore this change uh, that that the Bible clearly calls for, uh, that, that they that the old man has been put to death and the new one has come. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, this absolutely makes no sense to me. But again, to, to the point we made earlier, 
this is a natural progression. Like they, they didn't put this, they, number 10 was not number one for a reason. Right? For a reason. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly so right. I, there, I, there, that's listen, my thought process. There was some serious strategy going on in putting, in putting this audit together. That's for sure. And again, you know, you must, if, if you don't know the word of God well enough for yourself, um, you could be easily manipulated by these audit statements. I mean, uh, statement number 10 is just blatantly not true. It is just biblically untrue. It says that God has not promised any of us until the renewal of all things. No, no, that's not true. God has promised, as we've already stated, for those who he brings to himself in faith, the old person is gone. You're not only renewed, you're new. You're new. The old person is dead. So, no, statement number 10 is just biblically untrue. And another thing, you know, they use that word healing there. They put it in quotes. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that's just code for repentance. That's code for repentance. Because as you said, Omaha, they don't want to let it go. They don't want to let it go. The statement reads, no one would be pressurized into expecting or seeking any quote-unquote healing. That's just another way of saying they don't want to repent. Yeah, they, 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 don't, they, don't want, they don't want anyone telling them what they must do, what they said. To yeah. them. That's they don't want to hear that. They do not want to hear it. See, statement 10, this is the kumbaya audit, audit statement of the 10. This is the come together, get the campfire going, get the marshmallows out. <laughs> You know, get the uh, get the get. Let's sing all the hymns that talk about God's grace, 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 grace. His love, 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 love. His mercy, 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 mercy. Okay, let's get all those songs and sing those. But as I alluded to earlier, okay, Peter said he described Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and Lord, and Master, which is what that word means, Lord. But see, statement 10 is a kumbaya. You see, and I say that because audit statement 10 is advocating a gospel that is all about community and unity, but with no accountability. No accountability, none. And living out is not unique, unfortunately, within the evangelical church. This sort of... uh, Theology of this sort of soteriology by community is what I call it. It's a theology that's being preached that all Jesus wants us to do is get along. It's it's, it's the old Rodney King theology. You know, can't we all just get along? Let's get along. Let's love one another. But that's not the love that that the Bible talks about. That's not the love of God. We already read in 1 John that the love of God is that we love one another and keep God's commandments. That's what it says in First John. God defines love not just some sort of emotional feeling or, you know, sort of touchy-feely attitude that we have uh, towards one another by treating one another, just applying the golden rule all over the place. No, you have to obey. We made that point emphatically in part one, episode 42. We emphatically made that point. But see, what they want, they want community Unity, but with no accountability. Just carry on as you have been until the eschaton when Christ returns and God will make us all whole. 
Darryl, no need to repent it now. Yeah, just get away from me with all that healing talk. Yeah. Daryl, here's where I go, man. I mean, I, I, as, I, as I read this, review this, think through this, examine it for myself, my thought is, why, why would I, if I, if I love God, right, and that we're going to assume that those who are a part of this love God. Let, 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 let's assume the best. Let, let's, let's assume that, that like, like you, like me, that they love God. Why in the world? Would I want to connect myself to anything? Why, why would I want to connect myself to anything that resembles my sin nature? Why would I want to label myself, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. draw exactly. myself closer to anything that's reflective of sinfulness in me as, as, I, as I also draw myself closer to Christ? Why would I want to do that? Right. Right. That's that the, that's, that's the question. No sense. That's the question. You know, you have to ask yourself. <clears throat> I, I, would, I, would I call myself a pornographic Christian? That, right. that would be ludicrous. Right. Right. Exactly. And you, but you know what? There are professing Christians, and I put that in air quotes, folks. There are professing Christians in the porn industry who would say, no, you can't judge me. You know, well, yeah, I can, I can. They're profess, they're professing Christians who are in all kinds of habitually sinful endeavors. Who wouldn't hesitate to identify themselves as born again, Romans twelve heart regenerated Christians. Who are habitually engaged in blatantly unbiblical activities and behaviors, totally up against what Paul says in Romans six twelve. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not be master over you Paul says that's Romans 6 verses 12 through 14a you know so I would say to that quote unquote Christian pornographer out there you're lying to yourself you are deceived. You are not born again. If you're making your living in the porn industry, no, you're not born again. You're not. I don't care what you've convinced yourself of. You're not. The Christian life is a life of paradoxes. Virgin. You kind of alluded to this a second ago. In Christ, you die to live. In Christ, you give to gain. In Christ, you humble yourself in order to be exalted. In Christ, you set yourself as last in order to become first. You don't go the route of this audit trying to give reasons why you should should not be viewed as a sinner. Otherwise, why... 
why why would anyone in living out ask anyone to come to Jesus as opposed to Allah? If Christ didn't die for your sin, if his death wasn't atoning for sin, if his death did not propitiate, satisfy the wrath of God against us for our sin, if his death didn't accomplish, if his death wasn't a death for our sin so that we could die to sin, if Christ's life and death wasn't for that, I would ask the folks that living out, well, what's wrong with me just being a Muslim? Why don't I just confess Allah? If 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 sin is not an issue, sin is an issue. It is an issue, but thank God that by the blood of Christ, my sin, your sin, past, present, future, has been expiated by the blood of Christ. By His sacrifice, it's been done away. It's been stricken through. It's been erased. Praise God! It's been it's been erased. And I would just I would just encourage my brothers and sisters that living out and all these other ministries like it. When you put out something like this document, like this audit statement, you're looking for loopholes. By doing that, you're denying the very power of the gospel to transform lives. You're saying, well, I don't trust that the gospel can do that. So let me just create some loopholes and look for some fine print. So that I can stay within my own behavioral boundaries and, and be fine with myself. So again, these two episodes on the Justing and Broadcast, we've titled it The Narrow Road. Not because Omaha and I have structured structured it that way. No, it's because God has said this. God has structured this way of salvation as a narrow road. You can't just confess to be a Christian and not obey. So Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So we could wrap up with that verse. I would just encourage anyone who may be on the other side of the issue than we are, go study Luke 6, 46. Just that one verse, that's all you need. Study Luke 6, 46. And let the Holy Spirit deal with it in your own heart. Bird, you got anything to close us out, man? Because I'm no. done. Yeah, absolutely. No, just to, man, just to reiterate kind of how we started out at the top. None of this is aimed at it as, as a personal attack on anyone who's a part of any organization in particular. Just wanted to examine. And I think it's I think it's worthy of doing taking the time to looking at looking at the subject matter and and exegeting it, looking at it. Uh, looking at the statements, looking at the language and seeing what's there, examining it against the backdrop of scripture and having a dialogue about those kinds of things. Uh, I, I, I know some of the folks that are that are part of, uh, of the living out. I think some of them are on the, on the right side of this issue. I think some of them are on the very wrong side of this issue. Uh, and, and, and I think when you get a, a mixed bag of folks who are a part of this LGBT thing, uh, you can get a lot of different dynamics that are on, you know, far right, far left, kind of somewhere in the middle. And, um, and, and you can you can, if you're not careful, kind of broad brush stroke a lot of folks. 
our, our, our goal tonight was not to deal with individuals. It was to deal with the issues that were in the audit. And I think Daryl and I both uh, attempted to, to, be very, to be very strict about what was in the audit. And, 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 and we, we were not on personality. Uh, we've never really been about that to begin with. Uh, we really stuck with the issues that were in the audit. Uh, and so hopefully this was something based upon popular demand that would, would be uh, uh, edifying to those who requested it, uh, that it would be something that you would enjoy. This is definitely a, a double album uh, <laughs> by far. <laughs> and uh, my, my hope is that you all would, would, uh, would enjoy it, that it would be something that, uh, that you would share uh, with others. And uh, with that, we uh, check in with us next week uh, for another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. Thank you and God bless.